You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Two episodes, three captains, hundreds of ships, and one great big live show. It's Monday night, it's 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, and it must be Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. And since we're doing a double tonight, we're joined by reinforcements. Say hello to our special guest host. It's me, Heather Barker. I've been kidnapped by the Gorn. <laughs> oh, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing I have to a Gorn on my desk. Nice. But yes, I'm back. And tonight we'll be talking with you about the final two episodes of season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. First up, the Gorn are back and nastier than ever. Ever and all those who wander, and then Captain Pike and Captain Kirk strike a balance of terror and quality, uh, a quality of mercy. Indeed, that was well written. I like that. <laughs> well done. As we do in every episode of Mission Log Live, we want to hear from you. We cover one episode in each hour of the show tonight, and you know what to do. You click on the Zoom meeting link for each show for show one and show two. That's in the show notes and in the chat or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833 and then put the meeting code you see on screen. We'll get you into the Earl Green Room and we'll get you talking to us. That's right. And speaking of talking to us, I'm already taking a look at who is there. Some people waiting since 10 minutes before the hour to get into the chat. Dave Taylor, first one in line in the chat room. So hello to you. Hello to two Pauls right away. Paul Harveth and Paul Troutwine. Uh, let's see here. Hello to Jane. Jane, who sent us some excellent notes for Engage when we record our next Engage. Definitely have you in there. There's Dominic. There's David. There's Alan. Uh, let's see. Well, there's Heather. Uh, on screen and in your chat. So you get double the Heather right away for our <laughs> double episode tonight. You get Carlos and Carlos says, uh, oh, wait a minute. Where, where was it? Oh, there was a comment about time crystals right off the bat. And I love that. There's Matthew. Uh, let's see here. There's, uh, uh, oh my gosh, Christopher. Uh, there's John Arminio. John Arminio, who said it. Greetings, Arminio. my fellow time crystal vision seeking Trek compatriots. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Right. So hello. Hello to david we got two davids in there we got brian we got scott palm how are you doing tonight scott we got mike captain mike good to see you so wonderful there is so much to talk about in tonight's episode we will get to your calls your comments in a moment uh very quickly i just want to tell people what's coming up in mission log world this week now next week if you join us on monday for the live show of course we are winding down with our live show coverage about time norman that you and i were able to take a break but we have at least one more show to do and that will be our strange new world season one wrap up so if you didn't get to call in episode by episode or you just want to talk about the season as a whole i think it's great to be able to look back at it we will have a very special guest i am so looking forward to this andrew coots has been an editor on star trek discovery star trek picard and now strange new worlds and you talk about somebody who gets to shape these shows this is definitely somebody that you want to talk to so 
Join us next week when we welcome Andrew to the show. Uh, this week on Mission Log, our coverage of Voyager continues Thursday with the start of Season 2 of Voyager, the 37s. Big milestone there for us. Mission Log, The Orville, and Mission Log, Prodigy. Both of those shows are available as podcasts and videocasts. So Mission Log, The Orville, drops Season 3, Episode 6 this Wednesday. Make sure you sign up for those at uh, YouTube.com slash Prod or Roddenberry Entertainment. Entertainment. Uh, Mission Log Engage, which I, I promise you we are getting back to. We have a lot of good comments yeah. and suggestions already pulled and ready to go. Uh, those will show up on their dedicated playlist on our YouTube page. So again, youtube.com slash Roddenberry Entertainment. And make sure that you follow and stay in touch with all of our podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. Um, Look, we're four minutes in. I feel like we, we're running long anyway tonight. I feel like we could run even longer if we just don't get to it. Oh, so yeah. what do you say? I'll just get to it, and we'll start chatting, okay? The right thing to say is hit it. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's why you're here. That is right. why you are here, Heather. All right. So season one, episode nine, All Those Who Wander. Over a bountiful buffet, the crew start to say their goodbyes to the latest round of training cadets, Uhura, Chia, and then there's Ensign Duke, who gets bumped up to Lieutenant. Uhura is still thinking about where she really belongs, something that she'll have plenty of time to contemplate after their last stop at K-7, then back home. Those plans are changed, though, when Starfleet alerts the Enterprise that the USS Peregrine made an unscheduled landing on the Class L, that means cold, planet Vallejo Beta 5. Communications don't work there. The distress beacon was activated, and that was four days ago. So the Enterprise will head to K-7, but Pike and a small landing party of the cadets and a few officers will go investigate. Parking a couple of shuttles a few kilometers from the Peregrine, the landing party make a disturbing discovery. A splash of blood and a hand and forearm no longer attached to its original owner. Making their way into the hulk of the Peregrine, Pike and his landing party find a ship that has almost no power and very little indication who or what brought it down. The crew were all presumed dead as their remains, including the captain's, turn up outside in the icy conditions. Hemmer gets to work restoring power while Spock attempts to reactivate the bridge. The captain's log explains that they picked up three people on an M-class planet, a human girl, a humanoid of unknown origin, and an Orion. Only surprise! The Orion had eggs in his body something that the scanners and the biofilters didn't pick up, and, well, a plasma grenade and a distress call later, and here we are. Now Pike and his crew need to get out of there, but they need to rescue any survivors as well. There happen to be two, the human and that unknown. That unknown, a little skittish at first, turns out to be a purple alien who is protecting the human girl. While Uhura and Hemmer uh, work on the engines and discuss her moving on from Starfleet, and while Spock and Chapel have a talk about all those boiling Vulcan emotions under the logical exterior, the Doctor has determined that there are no anomalies in the two survivors. That's not quite good enough for La'an, who snaps at the little girl, but Mbega snaps back to leave his daughter alone. He corrects himself and consoles La'an a bit, that this little girl, Oriana, has a chance to grow up and out of the pain that she's in, maybe something like La'an herself, a survivor. 
Elsewhere on the Peregrine, blood streaks the corridors. Pike, Spock, and Mbenga bring some medical attention to Lieutenant Duke, who badly burned his arm in a Jeffrey's tube. Meanwhile, in sickbay, that purple alien, who Oriana named Buckley, is getting sicker and sicker. Chapel asks Chia to run some tests, and Oriana seems to sense what is happening and hides away. Sure enough, Buckley's condition gets worse when a Gorn baby hatches from his back. Buckley, dead. The Gorn baby immediately makes a beeline for Ensign Chia, also dead. Then three more Gorn pop out of Buckley's corpse, and a stronger one eats the weaker one, Gorn baby number four, dead. Not wanting to be dead herself, Chapel jumps up on an examination table and activates a force field while those scampering baby Gorn act like a couple of feral cats, knocking over whatever else in sickbay isn't glued down. Lieutenant Duke is all patched up, and while he and Spock, Pike, and Mbenga assess the situation, a couple of those baby Gorn crawl down the tube, and you can guess what happens to Lieutenant Duke. He screams, he gets dragged away, he's dead. Maybe Spock's logical exterior is starting to crack. Laan sizes things up in sickbay, getting Chapel out of there and arming her. Uh, then they find Oriana, who is hiding in the coldest area she can find, knowing that the Gorn don't like the cold. Once they have her, they head to engineering. And it's just in time. Hemmer got the power back on, but a bigger, angrier Gorn has found him, and Ahura spits a uh, oh <laughs> found him and uhura and spits a nasty green venom at hemmer just before laan can take the shot and scare it off uh reconvened in sickbay the crew make a plan cool off the ship drive the remaining gorn into warmer areas where they can pick them off the first attempt is success with uhura leading one through a transporter room at the signal they blast the room with cold air, and Uhura makes it to the other side, where Sam Kirk is waiting to close the door, one Gorn down, another to go. Spock waits in a corridor. Here comes the Gorn, but he can't draw him out for a fight. Summoning up all his anger to bait the Gorn, Spock unleashes Vulcan fury, only to be surprised when yet another Gorn comes up from behind. It's cool, though. The immature Gorn fight each other, leaving one of them, you guessed it, dead. Now it's Lon's turn with the final Gorn, calling him out, screaming mightily to lure it into the hangar bay where Hemmer is waiting. Racing to a cargo pod, Laan jumps in, closing the door on herself, and nearby in another pod, Hemmer activates a jet of freezing air to turn that Gorn into a popsicle. When Laan emerges from her pod, she takes the pipe and bashes it into a million frozen pieces, last Gorn, dead. The victory is short-lived. Hemmer emerges from his cargo pod to reveal that he has been compromised by the Gorn. The spray of venom has made his body host to more of, uh, to more of the young Gorn. The only option now is that he sacrifice himself to save his crew. Hemmer bids adieu to his friends, offering Ahura a last piece of advice about letting her friends in, and then he leaps from the hangar bay door into a cold chasm, just like his icy homeworld, Andoria. With the Peregrine badly damaged but under its own power, it and the Enterprise slowly fly home. There's a memorial service for those lost, Chia, Duke, and Hemmer. Spock is still reeling from tapping into the rage of his emotional side. He leaves the memorial, followed by Chapel, who witnesses him punching a wall, but she consoles him that his emotions are what make him human, not weak. 
Lon confides in Pike that she wants to take Oriana to possibly find her parents. That would mean leave from the Enterprise for a personal mission. Hammer's words had an effect on Uhura. If she was unsure of herself and where she belonged before, maybe look at communications on the Enterprise is more appealing. The end. Nice job there, Mr. Champion. I want to uh, highlight something that has been going off in chat right now. So Carlos and I think a few others, they want Unleashed Vulcan Fury as mm-hmm. our new band name oh. and perhaps on a T-shirt. Oh, yeah, I, I, that's totally fair. I, I think that's absolutely uh, the way to go. So uh, guys, get on that. Unleash Vulcan Fury. That That is my gift to you. <laughs> So, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, I know that we already have some callers standing by, which makes me very happy. Uh, I know that we got Chris, we got Paul, we got Bra- uh, Brandon, we got Alan, we got Cherie. So, um, look, I- I'm going to skip my notes for now. I think maybe we should all come back to that after we start hearing from some of our callers, and then we can uh, we can chime in with them. So, first up, welcome to the show tonight. It's Chris. How are you? Hey guys, doing good. Good to be back after the holiday. Yeah, fun yeah. double header. But yeah, no, this was this was a fun one. Always fun to have a horror episode. Um, this is not a hot take, but I think it needs to be said. They did hammer dirty. I wanted more <laughs> hammer, and just, just like that, out of the picture. Mm. Okay, hey. so look, I, I feel like this is going to be just for this episode. One of the major points of discussion is, is hammer. So. Okay, you say they did them dirty. I want to hear what Norm and Heather have to say, and I'm going to chime in last on this. Oh, Heather, please. Oh, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know, he was just such a dynamic character. We haven't had an Anor that we've been able to, like, spend a lot of time with and get close to, so there was that to explore, his pacifism. Um, I understand why. I don't know if we should talk about, like the fact that Bruce Horak is going to come back and play another character, which I'm glad about um, because we do with Hemmer's death, lose a disabled character, which sucks. Um, But like, he was just so cool and I wanted to know him better and I'm really sad. So yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Well, uh, so I didn't know that about him coming back. So Mm -hmm. that, that's interesting. So yeah, he's going to play another character um, and they didn't like specify exactly why, but when we watched the second episode, there's a, a voice appearance of someone in there Mm -hmm. and that might explain why, why Hammer uh, went the way he did. Okay. All right. Yeah. Norman thoughts. Well, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, there, there is a certain reality to, um, these choices that are, are meant to to break our hearts. You know, all of our drama can't be, and we can't hold on to all of our characters. We can't hold on to like all the cast members that we fall in love with, even though that we, I agree with most of the people out there. We just didn't have enough time to understand him. But the moments and the connections that we do understand are the connections that I think that are worth, you know, uh, observing in the future. Like, will Uhura make better decisions for herself just because of Hemmer? You know, there's a philosophy and a belief that there are certain people that exist solely for the reason of being able to benefit somebody else. You know, there, there is that. And that was probably Hemmer for Uhura. His short time with her changed her forever. And maybe that was the point. That's what he said. He is there to fix broken things. And once he fixed something, his destiny was fulfilled. So you can take a look at it in, in that kind of like Zen philosophy. But at the same time, though, uh, you know, 
whoever wrote, I don't remember who wrote this episode, but they probably followed like kind of like the Joss Whedon school of thought where any character can go at any time. And that's what creates great drama. And now, of course, like an Anson Mount won't go and probably Rebecca, but some of these other characters probably could go because characters that never continued on into the, uh, the Kirk era of the Enterprise. What happened to them and why? This is what happened to them. So um, I am going to say that I am uh, I love the character of Hemmer and I, I love Bruce as the actor inhabiting that character. And I really like what they did here with his death. I really do. Because to me, it it dramatically hit all the right notes. I feel like it was noble. It was earned. And it was a character that we got to know. So unlike, you know, go back to Discovery and you spend one episode on Arium before you kill her off. And it was like, well, wait, wait a minute. How are we supposed to feel emotionally connected to that death, right? Or then you take the opposite approach, Norman, like what you're saying, which is, okay, we know we're not going to kill off Pike because we already know Pike's fate. We know we're not going to kill off Spock. We know we're not going to kill off Uhura. So in order to give a show like this some drama and some surprise and some weight to it, well, now you've got a character that you can feel for and you you actually feel that loss instead of kind of the fake out earlier where you lose the unknowns, you lose Duke, you lose Chia and you're like, Oh, okay. But they were new. I just met them. And this is what star Trek does. So right. now you have a show subverting its own history by, instead of just saying, well, the unknowns, the guest stars, those are the ones who are going to die. And that's it. Well, now you actually make one of the leads, not safe. And I will say that one of my other favorite, favorite moments about uh, his whole death was that recognition from Spock, where just uh, like that is the kind of subtle, but on the nose, but really beautiful moments that also feels earned because we all know what happens to Spock decades later. But when you see him absorb what just happened, the sacrifice of Hemmer's one for the many, you just go, oh, okay. You didn't need to, you didn't need to tell me. You just had to show me. And I got right. it. You know, and I also believed in that scene that because they share tel telepathic ability, that there was just this uh, connection, very much like the scene uh -huh. where he threw him the carrot and he caught it. Right. No, there was just that understanding. Yeah. So it was yeah. a nice way to bookend that, I think. So, uh, yeah, so I, I thought it was a good conversation. We need to get out of the way right away because everybody loves Hemmer. And, you, you know, the, the one end is they did him dirty. We want him back. I, I felt like, yeah, I'm going to miss this guy, but I'm glad he got the send off that he did. Um, any other thoughts tonight, Chris? Because uh, we're, we're going to talk to some of our other callers as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's good stuff about Hammer, all of you. I think my thing was more, I liked this episode, but maybe put it in season two. Give me more Hammer mm. and then have him die the same way. Like, I just wanted <laughs> a little more. Like, the, the execution was good, but the, yeah. the time between start and end was a little short for me. Uh, but no, the other thing I really liked was the scene at the end with Chapel and Spock in the hallway. Mm. Jeff Bush and Ethan Peck continue to just bring their A-game and just elevate these characters. I love it. So good. Nice, nice. Excellent, Chris. All right, I think we'll see you again, probably. So oh, we're gonna, All right, <laughs> so we're going to jump over to our next caller here real quick, and that is Paul Harveth calling all the way. Oh, oh, no. Okay, Gorn he's got babies. a friend with him. Hello, I'm not dead. This Gorn, Gorn is not dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's so threatening. 
this I can't figure out is this is this retro Gorn? Is he a good guy or bad guy? How slow is he? I I don't know whether to just mail this to somebody or if they <laughs> leave it here in the house. <laughs> it's just it's scary to sit on the desk. Chris, well, we'll man. see that that's the thing. You you see a little Gorn like that, and you think, like, oh, they're harmless. They're a little, and now we invent this whole story where no, they're terrifying and awful. You know? Yeah. yeah so, in what way, Chris, my dear friend, Chris, it was this. <laughs> fun all right <laughs> i mean this took me back to watching alien in in like 76 or 77 i mm-hmm. i just i knew it was coming and mm-hmm. i don't know did you did you guys find this fun i it scared the hell out of me <laughs> for, for me it was more aliens it was more 86 aliens than 79 alien you know because you had you had a lot of the same beats. And like I said, if if they wanted to homage that, if the writers wanted to bring that kind of spirit in Star Trek and 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 play to those strengths, that's fine. But it does kind of feel like there are too many similar beats in this episode to 1986's Aliens. You had Oriana and you had La'an. That's easily, you know, uh translatable to Newt and Ripley. You know, then you had kind of like the Space Marines, a la, you know, Pike, Spock, everyone that had a phaser rifle. Then you had these aliens that were literally at, like at the very beginning of what happened at LV-426, where all the aliens were popping out of the colonists that were captured by the aliens. So the similarities for me were a little too strong. They were just a little too strong because they just amped up so much of these Gorn species now to be like the the aliens from that franchise as opposed to you know the swing and a miss gorns that you had from like 1966 now i'm not saying that they should have been that i'm just saying that now you've created a species that is about 200 times more lethal than the original species ever was and the original species was still pretty effective so why do you have to amp up this new species almost to the point where they're nearly they're nigh unbeatable I'm going to take up a slightly different position from you, Norman, and say that uh, on my first watch, I felt the same way that you did. On my second watch, I I sort of dispensed with the plot and the action and was more taken in by the character moments. So I think that tempered my feelings on the episode. Um, But all the similarities to Alien, I'm there for it. Or Aliens, I'm there for it. Uh, because I felt like, you know what, if Star Trek can do Die Hard in space, if Star Trek can do a haunted house movie in space, like First Contact or like the Enterprise episode Impulse or whatever, you know, it's taking that very flexible world and putting in the type of story that is suitable for, for that week. And this time we got the scary monsters on a spaceship story. But if that... If that was all it had been, I think it would be pretty dismissible. But because we got all this great character stuff out of it, it it made me appreciate it more and just think, you know what? There you go. There's another way to use that very bendy Star Trek format and throw in a different type of story this week. You know? No, I mean, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying that using that trope of the week you know mm-hmm. instead of the haunted house or instead of kind of like the uh you know the serial killer you know uh, trope or any of those even if it is kind of like horror alien mm-hmm. it can be horror alien and not be james cameron aliens right 
right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, they're, they're nasty little reptiles, and and maybe yeah. they've uh, maybe there's some connection there to the xenomorphs. Maybe I don't know. Heather, feelings, thoughts about this? So I was I'm very happy because I thought we would see the Gorn again, and we did. <laughs> like that was easy though. So, I, yeah. <laughs> um, but so I call this episode "Star Trek Meets Alien" with a dash of Jurassic Park because there was something about the Gorn that maybe their noises that was dinosaur. dinosaur. Yeah. It, it, it really, this is probably my least favorite episode of the season, but um, as we do with our rewatches, um, I liked it more the second time when I kind of disconnect from questions about the Gorn and trying to explain, mm-hmm. you know, what we see in arena with what we see here. And I've read some fan theory that, you know, works out just fine. Um, I really, really recommend watching the ready room. I know I keep saying this, um, yeah. this season has been really great. And for this episode, they did a deep dive on the puppetry, um, and the animatronic Buckley. And I, you know, we love animatronics for Disney fans. Right. Yeah. So, it was really neat to kind of do a deep dive there. Um, you know, Star Trek does horror every now and then. I thought they did an okay job. It's it's not my favorite, but I think that at the end of the day, it does fit in okay. I like seeing Lon come around and kind of give the same advice that Pike gave her to the little girl. Um, so again, like those character moments really helped it stand out at the end. So scared. I'm definitely more scared of the Gorn now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near the Gorn. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I was, I think it did an okay job overall, but there's, you know, it opens up a door and they knew they were doing that. They, um, Henry Alonzo Myers and Alex Kurtzman um, both knew that they were kind of breaking canon by doing this, but it's just something they really wanted to bring the, like update the Gorn and make them fast and make them something else. So that's what we got. I mean, okay, we, so oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Just, sorry. Sorry, John. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean to step on you. Uh, I got two thoughts before we move to Brandon. I know you guys yeah. are, are packed ready room. First of all, uh, non-feral cats act like that, too. We generally have a young one and an old one. They just sort of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just as a little bit of uh, thought to leave you with, what about the day the Klingons go Gorn hunting now? That should be fun. Ooh, that, Let's go on a trip to Gorn Planet. Wow. <laughs> Just, and that, that can be your coming of age, you know, for Klingons in the future. And I'll I leave mean, it there. That could either be a very long episode or a very short, <laughs> short. one. <laughs> wow. And Thank you, Paul. Thank you. We'll see you a little later. All right. Take Thanks, it bye. easy, man. All right. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. It looks like we got Brandon standing by. All right. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, guys. Hey, Brandon. Um, I was, uh, the, the first thing that actually caught my eye with this, uh, this episode that I wanted to call out was the title, not all who wander or not all those who wander, um, which are lost exactly, which being married to a giant Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. fan, you can see (laughs) middle earth tapestry behind me. I found myself wondering, what are we, what are we going for with that reference? And I still actually, I don't think I have an answer when it comes to this episode, I have a lot of thoughts on this episode. And I won't go through all of them, but like, I, I found myself being like, that's a really cool, like, that's a cool line, mm. but why'd you use it? If I may, 
yeah. I, I do believe that that goes to uh, the storyline between Hemmer and Uhura. Uhura has been lost since basically the first time we saw her. And she's been struggling with, am I or am I not going to join Starfleet? I have the talent and I obviously have the training, but do I have the desire and do I have a plan moving forward? And she was wandering, but she had Hemmer. And Hemmer was able to give her the one piece of advice that put it all together for her so that she wasn't lost anymore, even though it was at the sacrifice of himself doing and showing her that this is worth fighting for. This is worth sacrificing myself for. And, you know, this is who we are. This is what Starfleet is. And if you can find that, if you can find that found family, which I think we haven't discussed about, the found family aspect of what Hemmer uh, tried to impart on her allowed her to find that permanence instead of trying to... Um, fill that that tragedy of not having a family back on earth so i think that that's what they were going for i could be reaching but that's what i got no, from i that. really like that yeah yeah i yeah. think that's great love it um thanks so i'll cash I- my check right now <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic yeah that's why i love the kind of mission log that i can call into yeah, yeah wonderful yeah. um i felt bad at the beginning for lieutenant duke and cadet chia um, at the very beginning of the episode, um, because Pike is saying all of these wonderful things. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, you're going to die. That's so unfortunate. <laughs> you poor guys, you're going to die. And yeah. then and, I, you know, I saw the recap. So I knew what probably what was going to kill them as they're like previously. Just remember all this stuff about the Gorn. And so they're walking around the they're walking around the planet. I know this isn't watching the episode necessarily in the spirit that, you know, you forget the recap and, and all this thinking, but it, I was sort of chuckling to myself. It's like, what could have done this? And I said, Oh, it's the Gorn. You guys, it's the Gorn. Um, I know they can't watch the recap or else they would know it was the Gorn too. But I just thought that was, <laughs> I, I found myself sort of, uh, I was like, actually, I got to stop watching those recaps. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I did find myself wondering, so I really loved the Peregrine. That was really cool. And seeing a ship. So I can't, they said it was, you know, it's made of the same stuff as the Constitution class. And I, I really would have loved to have known more about that because it looks just exactly the same to me, except blue inside where the Enterprise is red. And we saw that color division in Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I just thought it was really awesome to see this on a planet because that's it's hard to get a sense of scale. Yeah when you're out there in space, but you see this ship right there and then seeing them towing it later with the, uh, with the, the, the nacelle all sort of askew and the damage. I thought that was, that was really, really cool. And I, I found myself like, that was a shot that sort of was like, look, they succeeded, but you get that sort of feeling of, was it worth it? Um, You know, it's funny uh, because Norm and I uh, have, uh, the 37s on Voyager coming out this week, and that, that's the first episode of televised Star Trek where they land a starship. <laughs> and, you know, to varying degrees of success, one might say. <laughs> uh, this, very successful, and I felt it, it gave me these very, uh, like, James Blish novel vibes. Like, I, I can't place it exactly, uh, but just seeing that shot of the Peregrine there and the, the rocky, icy mountains around it had a very cool kind of retro feel to it and if it is referencing a specific piece of art 
awesome. If it isn't, uh, still awesome because they did a great job kind of aping that feel for me. Uh, so I thought that was cool. And definitely even before the show, we were talking about how um, how is it that you can have a Constitution class ship that is not a Constitution class, but is made out of the same parts as a Constitution class and not call it that class because that's the whole point of that class being what it is, is you're using the same parts from model to model but hey is it a um, constitution kit class that's it that's it it's just what it is parts on top of like a pontiac fiero and they just (laughs) to make it look cooler Mm -hmm. they just put that stuff on there that that's how it works yeah oh before before we let brandon go and since we're doing this live i have i need to show you something so i'm going to move my mic for a second please okay all right what we got we got show and tell with norman here okay Mm mm-hmm Wait, you gotta you gotta talk to us because we Sorry. can't. My uh, my mouse pad is the map of Middle Earth. Oh my god, and it's the, it's pretty much the same the same region, or not entirely, but it's very close. That's great. So I, I have you. a I have a white tree of Gondor tattoo in my leg, but I'm not going to stand up and show it to you because I've got on like shorts. So yeah, <laughs> and I applaud you for that because Gondor is my tribe. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes. So awesome. you you are not alone. Yana. <laughs> Excellent, guys. All right, Brandon, thank you so much. Any uh, final thought before we say uh, goodnight and move on to our next caller? Yeah, I think that just my last my last thought on this would be a, a potential moral or meaning or message from this one, which is if you think you're infected with Gorn eggs, don't try and blow up engineering with a grenade. Just walk out an airlock. So, oh, that that is it. Yes. Yes. They could have saved, yeah, they could have saved a lot of time if they just listened to that old sage piece of wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with us, Brandon. Thank you for having me. I'll <laughs> see you in the next segment. All, All right. right. Cheers. See Take you. care. See you soon. All right. And Alan, you've been he, taking notes? <laughs> as he is every week, calling from the lower decks, we got Alan and uh, with his thoughts on this week's, uh, the first of this week's episodes. Uh-oh, I think he might be frozen. I hope he's live and not Memorex. Oh, there, there he is. There Hold he on. Is. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, things things have gotten a little tense down here. I there. I think I think I might have a Gorn infection as well. <laughs> and, oh, no. And, um, Yeah. <laughs> Just, everybody uh, has a gorn, some kind of gorn. Yeah, I think my gorn. They've, they've been redesigned. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! God. I'm, I'm looking around for what I have. I have nothing. Yeah. I, I, I don't have, think this yeah, counts. I got nothing to show and tell. I don't know. Yep. No. Uh, <laughs> no. Blinky mm. doesn't count. No, I'm sorry. Mm. No. Oh well, I tried. So, uh, other than the lack of Jim Henson characters in uh, in the episode, Alan, uh, any other thoughts or feelings well, about? Uh... I mean, it's still a puppet, so that's good. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I I loved the the practical effects of it. I love the practical effects on Buckley that you guys have mentioned. Um, yeah, uh, cool. I was listening earlier, and um, I, I like the idea of Klingons versus Gorn. Now, I think that since we've had. Uh, our aliens uh, motif. Uh, that could be our aliens versus predator. Hey, nice. Yep. Like that a lot. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, what's, what's a bat lift if not, uh, <laughs> you know, the perfect predator weapon. <laughs> I, I, you know, somewhere I somebody at IDW is, is sketching all of this out now. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, definitely sort of, hits the horror vibe, the space horror 
uh, motif very hard. Um, uh, I personally felt a little bit of uh, John Carpenter's Thing vibe, uh, considering how cold everything was. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, just uh, I, I do sort of it's taken me a little bit of time to get into it because I also started off with, boy, this is a lot of alien um, homage, but I think I've come to, to, to sort of, you know, slide into appreciation. And um, a lot of it does uh, have to come from, you know, the, you know, the, the wonderful way that they've dealt with Hemmer um that was just an outstanding performance yeah he he is pretty incredible um yeah so well uh, let me ask you any other uh thoughts before we move on here is i i got nothing to add to that oh yeah quite, honestly, no. <laughs> other than uh that that yes hemmer is awesome and i agree with you about the uh the john carpenter vibes for yeah. sure yeah i i know that uh uh during Picard, I was uh, doing some musical send-offs for characters, and I won't, I won't sing this one because I think it would be terrible. But uh, bang bang, Starfleet's Anir Hemmer beam down to that ship, and bang bang, Starfleet's Anir Hemmer took that big back, big backflip. So. Wow! Wow! Nice, Starfleet's Anir Hemmer. That wow. Well yep. done, sir. Well and on done. that note. Ah! Well, hey, and, 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 by, <laughs> and, and by the way, not the only Beatles reference in the episode, because, uh, uh, of course, uh, Ortegas calls Hammer in the eulogy scene mm-hmm. a blue meanie. Yep. Yep. Uh, so hey, nicely done. There nice we go. T- yeah. yeah. She Good was our, t- she was, you know, if they had only brought her, it would have. She would have been the Vasquez, and they would all all would have been out. You know, they would have all made it much better. Exactly, hundred yep. percent. All right, Alan, we will see you uh, on the other side of the hour. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll be back for number ten. Excellent. All right, all right take care. Adios. All I had was stop hammer time, but that's just too easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I've seen a few, seen a few uh, memes out there with yeah. that. Uh, with uh, Hammer Time. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like he is, it's one of those things where even if he never came back, and I'm so glad, Heather, to hear that you heard that news about him actually coming back. I feel like even if he never did, he was so impactful in that, uh, in, in the first 10 episodes and so well loved. Like, this is somebody that you're going to see at conventions from here on out, no matter what. Like, he is just sort of instantly a part of the family in that yeah. way. You know, and a really just a really nice person too. Um, I hope that we see him on the con circuit. Yeah. Oh, I I feel certain that we will for sure. All right. So let's move along to our next caller, who is Cherie calling from the bridge of the Enterprise, of course, appropriately so. How's it going tonight, Cherie? Ah, I demand search for Hammer. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you think right. he made it, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> you think he made it? You think he survived that yeah. fall? Yeah. No. No. I mean, he's an Anar, and that's like a cold planet. He said it was like Endoria. Mm-hmm. I bet he has like some sort of hibernation, healing thing. I mean, uh, he's got all kinds of powers. What do you make it work? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I like that. Um, I, I don't know if they'll go there. 
but <laughs> but I like but the way fan you're fiction can fan fiction can fan it's fiction all you can do it right yes it can. yes it can true exactly true. well what are the thoughts you have for us tonight Sheree I gotta know well I did agree with what you said that the death was fantastic like I mean he's a brilliant actor he's a great actor although well, that, that's why I think they should bring him back um I, I'm glad to hear that um, you've heard that he's coming back I hope I I hope that means church pepper. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Um, but like, like Heather said, like he was like the only disabled character, and I don't really love the idea of him being replaced with Scotty. I love Scotty as a character, but another thing about Scotty is we know a lot about Scotty. Um, right. I, if they were going to replace him with anyone, I'd love them to replace them with someone we don't know a lot about or someone entirely new. I think that would be great also poor otegas wouldn't have to keep looking over her shoulder because she's the only one without plot armor oh oh <laughs> yeah oh no, that's a good point so strong. yeah hmm <laughs> well no hang on uh we actually don't know that una has plot armor yeah because... that's true but they might i mean they, they're probably you know, let's see they're probably going to have her come back and they're going to save her from the penal colony but um yeah like you know she, we don't know yet what's going to happen in the second <laughs> they could and, be taking advantage of like you don't have blood armor either <laughs> well hey and look rebecca romaine is about to go off and co-host uh the new real love boat uh reality show mm-hmm. uh yeah so you know that that might take all of her attention we don't know and you can see a lot less una <sighs> on uh star trek <laughs> Um, what? Well, I heard that outburst, Heather. What, what was yeah, that all about? No, I'm just no. There, Una can't go anywhere. Una is the star of season two. The entire season two is about Una, and then that's it. <laughs> well, what you didn't see there, Heather. I, I mean, I, I it was so sly because this is the way that John is. But we we're actually plugging Mission Log, the new love boat. You know, oh, yeah, I know. Next, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I all know. right, you got that. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we got that in there. No, right. uh, look, I, I, I do feel like, you know, I, of course, I don't think they're going to kill off Una in the next season, but she is somebody from the cage who just disappears after the cage. So we really know nothing about her, and that leaves a, just wide open ways to tell her story, which is great. Uh, Ortegas, we don't know anything about, so uh, I'm fully... And for that matter, Mbenga. We know that Mbenga ends up on the Enterprise, mm-hmm. but we don't know a whole lot about what happens between now and then, and we haven't seen Dr. Boyce yet either, and I would right. be a big fan of that. Right, so, right. Yeah. And so with Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should be Jeffrey Combs. Everyone <laughs> should be Jeffrey Combs in a different wig. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good way or to do it. Yes. Combs overs. Hey. <laughs> good. Good call. Don't good steal call. that, Alan. That's mine. Don't steal that from me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what else you got, Cherie? Um, I... Um, I just, I, I also wanted to talk more about Heather. I just like, I, I actually didn't originally, I was originally really excited about the character because I love the Andorians and particularly the Anors because I like, I love Enterprise. Um, but then like his first introduction, I was like, mm, seems like his 
only character trait is that he's grumpy. Um, but then, like, they made him into such a brilliant character. And I was, by this episode, I was, like, so excited to see more of him. I was like, yeah, Hammer, yay. And then I was like, ah. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, look, we, we have so much opportunity now to learn about people like uh, Lieutenant Kyle and uh, why he's so mean. Yeah. I want to see why he's so mean. Right. <laughs> Exactly. And I, I, I agree with the, the 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 episode where you're where you're talking about how he might have been the um, court jester that you never got to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> court right? jester Kyle. I yep. also want to see that. I want to see a short treks of court jester Kyle. <laughs> oh, bring back short treks. Yes. yes. See, that would be ideal. And that's a great way to fill in those gaps where like, okay, you can essentially pick up from any point in the timeline. So you could bring Hammer back for something like that. You you could have all kinds of like little gap filling spaces in there. So, yeah. I want um, to see both court jester Kyle and a short treks about why Kyle is so mean. <laughs> Yes. I, look, I, I still maintain that he is not, he's probably the nicest guy on the entire ship, but somebody started the rumor to throw off all the cadets. But that would be a great story. See, that would be a great short trek of yeah. like, him trying to be super nice and then like something going wrong and then it's seeming like he's so mean. Yeah, yeah, just to mess with him. I, I think that's excellent. Yeah. You know, they probably treated him like, you know, one of those, uh, like the beef eaters in front of Buckingham Palace. They just like, just, just go up there and poke him. Just poke him, right? Or mess with his transporter controls. See what happens. It's all the right. gum that they keep trying to like. Exactly. Flavor. There's just like trash cans full of like chewed gum, you yeah. know, all over his pads. He's like, really? Come on, right? I was a nice exactly. guy once. I was a nice guy once, and then that gum stuck to my shoe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts tonight, Cherie? Uh, that's it for this episode. I'm gonna be back for the other one. I all can't right. wait. All right. Cool. Hey, uh, we'll see you in a little bit after the top of the hour. And uh, before we get to our next caller, though, I do want to have having some great comments here. Heather, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're probably on top of some of those as well. Uh, But I do want to share some of these. Um, First of all, Dave says, uh, I would like short treks back, but I sense that they are slammed and they can't fit it in. Great vehicle for filling in those stories. And yes, Mm -hmm. I I feel the same way. They were so good what we got when they did those two short seasons or short treks. And I really wish we had them. Nick, Nick, a good friend of the show says short trek, young, naive, plucky hammer. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe just maybe we will get that. Um, Let's see here. And uh, what else do we have here? Uh, uh, Oh, oh, here we go. Uh, Nick DeGood also saying new series, Star Trek one, all Una all the time. There you go. Yes. I will watch all of it. A hundred percent in favor of that. Uh, Dave says love boat reality show question mark yes exclamation point dave uh there is a love boat reality show co-hosted by jerry o'connell and uh and rebecca romaine and i cannot wait wait two number ones yes oh wow that's fantastic i've been pulling for the star trek love boat crossover all these years and they just handed it to me on a silver platter i mean They've you know, been reassigned to the USS Pacific Princess. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How could I not be excited about this? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Oh, Carlos pointing out that Laan has no plot armor. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So that's, uh, and then, uh, let's see. Ooh, I, I want to skip that about a certain somebody until we get to the next episode. Don't want to, don't want to get yeah. too far ahead of ourselves. And then Dave says, uh, Hemmer and Tucker are hanging out somewhere for sure. So here's the strange thing. And you know, we don't jump the timelines here on Mission Log, but well, well first... we get on the live show a bit. On the regular show, we don't like to ever, ever. And we in never, chronological ever do order, it. In never chronological do it. order. Sure. Trip Tucker and Hammer, the yeah. engineers of the Enterprise. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> They're like the drummers from Spinal Tap, right? <laughs> yes. This yes. is a bad trend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? It's uh, a little a little rough. Yeah. yeah. We don't we so, don't need that. Yeah, I got it. Um uh Carrie makes a good point here. Why hasn't Lon given a full debriefing on the Gorn? We find out in little bits that A, the Gorn don't like cold, and B, their spit includes eggs. Although I I don't think we knew that part uh until this episode. They kind of inferred that. They they kind of piece that. But yeah, it does seem like Laan at some point would just get the whole crew together, do like a PowerPoint and like say a TED yeah. Talk. TED Talk Gorn. A yeah. TED Talk Gorn. That's what okay. we need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love all of that. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, let's go to our, uh, I believe, our final caller for this segment. And then uh, we'll take a little break. And then we'll uh, we'll jump right into episode 10. Uh, welcome, by the way. Uh, Anne-Marie Siegel just joining the chat there. Hello. And, uh, yeah, so glad to see all of you who have joined us as we, uh, as we get near the end of our discussion of episode 9. And uh, next stop, we have John D., otherwise known as... Dr. Dawson, a uh, member of our Patreon group and our Discord now. So welcome to the show. I want to say first that if if there is a mission log love boat, I will withdraw my Patreon Donate. No. <laughs> okay, then I won't tell you about the two episodes that have already come out. Uh don't go looking too hard for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am here. As you see, at a at a Gorn wedding, so love it. But I wanted to talk about the memorial scene right at the mm. at the end, mm. and we we see this formula. I guess it's a formula that Star Trek pulls out a funeral scene, and we saw it um, in at the end of Nemesis. Uh, for data, we saw it at the beginning of Search for Spock. For for Spock, and it and it's just, and we and we see this kind of ability or this moment for the captain, then in this case Pike, and that other cases Picard, and of course Kirk. Being able to be slightly more vulnerable, and Cisco with, with Dax, if you're, yeah, if you're, and yeah. Cisco with Dax, with it, with the crew, and and say, look, I'm not. It kind of like I'm not your captain here. I'm your family, the head of your family. So, I think that they've used this formula, and it's really effective. It also is kind of now gotten really predictable <laughs> to be honest mm. but i think that is a uh effect i think it's effective um and 
in this case, you know, you're dealing with in 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 data and DAX and Spock, you're dealing with beloved characters who have developed I mean DAX over six years, data over ten years, thirteen years, um, Spock over decades. Of course Spock came back, but you know, in this case you're dealing with a hammer that we don't get to learn as much about his backstory, but that scene allows the characters to paint a backstory for him that we never got to see. And I think that's the, that leads into the conversation that was previously had about short treks or what are those components that we might see in the future. Mm. I hear you. Um, I, I mean, I personally, I'm a fan of scenes like that when they're given the right sort of timing and the right sort of weight in an episode, because it, it, it always felt like in the past, particularly if you look at a show like TOS, they're losing people left and right, but they just never stop to acknowledge it. And, yeah. and of course, you can sort of, in your head canon, you can infer that something happened. And every now and then you would hear Kirk say something about, you know, sending a, a letter of condolence. But you never really felt it. Um, so I felt like as Trek moved into the modern era, uh, then they could treat something like death a little more seriously and, and see how people deal with it. And sometimes there may just be a private personal moment when you get a reaction, when you get some some of that vulnerability that you talk about uh, just among like a, a, just a one on one conversation or something. Other times you do uh, a setup like this where you have this sort of memorial with the photos out. And um, I I like the idea that we saw what it was that Hemmer did for Ahura. And even though we never saw what he did for Ortegas, it just sort of it fills in that he, that he had more connection with the crew than only what we saw on screen. You know, yeah. it, because we saw how how valuable that was for Ahura and how genuine it was for Ahura. And you can just imagine, like, oh wait, he's this grumpy Andorian in engineering, <laughs> but people actually got to know him. And these were the things that these are the, the bits of wisdom that he could impart to them uh, or the, the memories that they'll keep with them. So, I mean, to me, I thought it was handled just right. It wasn't too much and it wasn't too little uh, for me. But I think everybody's sort of subjective feeling on that is, is going to be a little different, you know? Yeah, sure. And we saw I just thought of an, another when we saw in the first season of TNG with Tasha Yar. And we saw sure. holographic Tasha, who then yeah. made the reappearance as holographic Tasha in a measure of man as a little statue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Uh, John, any other thoughts? No, I think uh, I, I did. I did point out, uh, Mr. Lau, that Morn and Gorn rhyme. Do they? So. <laughs> so <laughs> Poetry time may be coming soon. Oh, you give me too much credit for being creative. 
but maybe depends on how the bourbon is uh, that night. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. John, thanks so much for calling in. We'll see you again. Okay. Thanks, sir. Thank you. All right. All right. Hey, uh, so since we've got a few minutes before we go to the top of the hour and go to our little break and then do our recap of the finale episode of season one, mm-hmm. uh, question for both of you, because I've seen this come up in the chat. I've seen a lot of chatter online about it, and I took some notes, but I, I want to get your thoughts. You've got your TOS classic Gorn from Arena. All right. You fast forward a bit. I'm going to break the timeline again. Enterprise. You have a CGI-rendered Gorn in uh, the uh, Mirror Darkly episodes. You had animated Gorn in Lower Decks. All right. Now we have these uh, juvenile, very feral Gorn in this episode. How do you put these together in your head? Does it bother you? Does Do you have no problem with it? I mean... I, I, I want to know what uh, what you two think. Well, um, okay, so this is in in all honesty. There's there's an old adage that like your 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 most your most recent project or your most recent endeavor or your most recent goal that you've achieved is your best version of whatever you've achieved. Hmm. So. In Star Trek right now, Strange New Worlds being the most recent and the one of the highest budgeted shows and the highest production valued shows and with the vision and the 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 quality and the craftsmanship and the creativity, all of that is what I believe the fans have been wanting 1966 to be translated to in the modern era. We don't have the Jeffries tube on the Enterprise homaging the Jeffries tube from 1966 just because there is mm-hmm. a specific visual uh, quality that has been given afforded to us with the quality of the production that has been now created that being said the Gorn in this era of Star Trek that predates 1966 in the in-universe timeline what we are seeing I believe is what we were supposed to be visually seeing all this time. So the Gorn, as he is fighting Kirk on Cestus three, that is this Gorn, the fight between the Gorn and Kirk on Cestus three or on the planet that the Metrons, you know, transported them to that fight would be lethal in every possible regard. You know, how Kirk would have to avoid the, you know, the, the embryonic spit, the acid, the mm-hmm. speed of these. But also at the same time, though, just think about the performance of that Kirk digging deep down and finding a way to, fu- to, to confront the Gorn, to beat this character, to beat this captain. It would be gritty. It would be brutal. It would be raw. You know, it would be dark. Mm-hmm. But that's this era of Star Trek in production, right? It's not the rubber suit anymore. You know, it's not the microphone eyes. As charming as that is and nostalgic as that is, it doesn't exist anymore in terms of what we should, I believe, be visually using as the key to what Star Trek should look like today in our mind's eye. That's how I, tra- that's how I resolve the issue with the Gorn. Heather? Oh, I can't follow that. That was so well said. I don't know how to follow that up. Um <laughs> I I think I read somewhere that they were it was Gorn at different stages of evolution or something that I was just like okay 
because I'm not the kind of fan that is going to spend all of my time trying to find a way to make that work instead of just enjoying what's in front of me. Um, And I do kind of wonder like where the, the sentience, the consciousness, the, the mind of the Gorn is with these feral animals compared to the arena Gorn. Um, but at the end of the day, as Norm said, like, you're not going to have something today that is a man in a rubber suit from 1960s. And thank God we're not seeing something like that. Um, you save that for the conventions, everybody. So, and, and then you have animated Gorn with Gorn Weddings. Like, how how do you, (laughs) like, really, really, how are you supposed to? So sit back and enjoy it. And look, at the end of the day, we have another horror Star Trek episode that we will be talking about 20 years from now. And I can't wait to see what we're saying. Okay, so... John, here's how I here's how I also kind of from the human side. You know, we're talking about the Gorn, but okay, take a look at the way that that humans fought in 1966. The quote unquote the 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 much vaunted haymaker punch. That's how you would uh-huh. take somebody out. Right. That's 1966 choreography. That's the fight quality yeah. of 1966, or for at least the next decade, the haymaker punch, the one shot, you know, the the super heroic fist, whatever you want to call it. But now. Like in the fight scenes that you're doing now, they're they're so kinetic and brutal, you know, and they're using yeah. things like, you know, they're using Filipino martial arts and Krav Maga, you know, and Wing Chun and all these different martial arts in Starfleet Foo that these new characters are using. So you're going to evolve because you have to. Yeah, you know, I, I, all of that really gives me a lot of food for thought. Um, and, and I think, well, first of all, the Gorn that we see on screen are juvenile, uh, very newly hatched. You know, some have grown faster than others. Some have been in that ship for a little longer than others. Uh, but they have not been raised by Gorn parents. They have not been educated to the extent that apparently Gorn do at some point. <laughs> have you been because... raised by Gorns? Right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, To be the ones that, you know, fly, fly a starship and and can do the things that they do. Um, So all we know is just that they are vicious and feral and deadly. And that's it. That's all we know about these at this stage of their development. But the other thing that you mentioned and I think this is something we'll get into in the second half of our show as we talk about an episode that very specifically ties into a TOS episode. There are so many people who can't get into TOS. And if you pull an episode out of context like Arena and say, no, this is great. This is great Star Trek. They can't get past a man in a rubber suit. They can't get past the stilted fight choreography. And for those of us who maybe grew up on it or looking at it for something different, we go, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about the story. It's about the decision not to kill. It's about all of these other things. There's a segment of the audience who will never see that episode and never get through it because they can't get past the visuals. And I think it's, actually pretty nice here the way you just described it norm to be able to take something that might feel stuck in amber and say no 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 this is the vicious thing that you should feel about that fight that kirk had 
you know, then then you get to layer on the the morals, meanings, messages. Then you get to layer on, you know, what the story is actually about. But what we're doing is we're updating the visual. We're updating the uh, the 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 sense of danger that should have been there all along. Could you imagine? But then, then John, like the bigger point, though, and I know that mm-hmm. we're we're going to get into the second half here, and this is mm-hmm. all leading into very important talking points for this next episode, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if we don't if we don't suspend that disbelief, then how are we going to be able to to come to terms with Guy Fleegman saying, "Can you find a rudimentary lathe?" <laughs> Because, you know, then it just all breaks down from there, right? How are we going right. to get our Galaxy Quest if we can't parody Star Trek anymore? Exactly, exactly. All right, well, this is a perfect point to, uh, first of all, thank everybody who is chiming in tonight. Thank everybody in the chat. And uh, we are going to get to our second episode, episode 10, here in just a moment. But we do, of course, have to crass, crassly commercialize this by thanking everybody who is a member of Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log, where you have possibly gotten some great mer- uh, 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 swag exclusive to mission log on Patreon. There's stickers, there's coffee mugs, there's t-shirts, there, there's hoodies, there's all kinds of cool stuff that you can only get as a Patreon member. There is early access to our shows. Uh, there is the behind the scenes video of our unexpurgated, uh, unedited shows at Patreon. And most importantly, the heart and soul of our Patreon experience is Discord. And for all of you who have heard us talk about Discord and you're not quite sure, wait, I hear you talk about it. How do I get to it? Well, you get to it by joining Patreon. And then very shortly after you join patreon.com slash mission log, you will get a personal invitation from our very own Norm or Morn, depending on when you catch him. Or Gorn. Uh, or Gorn. He will send you that invitation. And, and actually, here in the room with us right now, we have one of our newest members of Discord, and that is Heather. And you've been hanging hey. out, chatting, saying hello. Tell us a little bit about the quality of conversation you found in there. It's been really great. Um, I have said several times, it's about the quality of people, not the quantity of people in groups. That's not to say it's a small group because it's not. Um, But I like that. I know there is a safe place to stalk or talk about stalk about Star Trek. I guess I do stalk about Star Trek sometimes. Yeah, we all do um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but to hang out and talk and like it's you know it's hard like to I don't want to tweet about the episode the day it comes out because then I'm spoiling it for everyone. So wait till Monday. But we can go to the group and you could use the little spoiler taggy thing and hide it and so we can all talk about it together and that's just the best thing ever um but also the food like y'all keep posting food that i want to eat and (laughs) i need to do some traveling so that i can come eat all the food all your cute pets we talk about other series the orville which has been really great it's just it's just really nice it's a great community of people and i really value having it and knowing that it's there for me when I want to go check in with everybody. Well, we love having you there. And um, look, that's the perfect way to wrap it up and reiterate the invitation. Come join us at patreon.com slash mission log. And then you will be a member of our discord community as well. All right. Uh, it is the perfect time to hand it over to Norm with our recap of season one, episode 10 of Strange New Worlds, Equality of Mercy. My friend, take it away. Let's see if I can balance this terror. <laughs> oh, snap. Uh, okay. 
The Enterprise and her crew are helping the USS Cayuga retrofit and resupply several outposts guarding the neutral zone, a thin band of space that separates the Federation and the Romulan Empire. In his quarters, Captain Pike enjoys a brief reunion with Captain Battelle of the Cayuga, who remarks that she enjoys this new beardless Chris and looks forward to the Chris of tomorrow. Later in the Enterprise conference room, Pike, Number One, and Spock meet with Commander Hansen Al-Salah of Outpost 4. During their supply briefing, Hansen's son, Ma'at, bursts into the room, desperately wanting to meet Captain Pike. Upon realizing who Ma'at really is, Pike knows that in seven years, the accident that will leave him crippled and disfigured will also kill Ma'at as a future Starfleet cadet. Visibly unsettled from this meeting, Pike excuses himself and leaves the briefing. Una tries to console him, but to no avail. In the solitude of his quarters, Captain Pike begins crafting a letter to Ma'at, warning him about the future. Suddenly, a familiar figure steps forward from the shadows, clad in a maroon uniform and with the rank of Admiral. It is Pike, from the future, who has come back in time with a warning. Admiral Pike proves beyond a doubt that he is who he claims to be by telling his younger self about the tragic death of their first pony, Sir Nasalot. Admiral Pike tells Captain Pike that if he sends this letter to Ma'at, then end-of-the-world type stuff will happen. The Admiral also admits that the Klingon monks of Boreth are the ones who sent him to persuade his younger self from changing the future. The Admiral reveals a time crystal to Captain Pike, and upon touching it, Chris is transported seven years into the future. Disoriented and apparently in the midst of marrying two young officers aboard the Enterprise, Pike manages to maintain his composure long enough to find and confide in Spock about what he believes is happening. After mind-melding with Pike, Spock believes him, but logic dictates that Pike's circumstances in this timeline will only be revealed by living through it. Thus begins the odyssey of Pike's decision to save Ma'at, for in this future, Captain Pike is alive and well after sparing himself and the seven cadets from the accident. In doing so, Pike is still in command of the Enterprise in a timeline where tensions between the Federation and the Romulan Empire are high. After the destruction of several Federation outposts at the hands of an invisible enemy, Pike and the Enterprise, assisted by Captain James Kirk and the USS Farragut, prove that this invisible enemy is a Romulan bird of prey armed with a plasma weapon of incredible destructive power. After the bird of prey escapes from a nearly foolproof trap, resulting in the total destruction of the Farragut, Captain Kirk borrows a shuttle to find Federation support elsewhere. After several attempts at trying to negotiate peace with the Bird of Prey's commander, Pike is suddenly confronted by a Romulan fleet at the border of the Federation neutral zone. The Romulan Praetor is determined to make an example of Pike, the Enterprise, and the traitors in her midst. And just as all seemed lost, Kirk appears out of warp along with an armada of mining drones. But to the Romulans, who have never seen a Federation fleet, those ragtag ships would be exactly that. Unimpressed with Pike's and Kirk's resolve, the Praetor destroys the Bird of Prey as her entire fleet engages the Enterprise, and even though the mining vessels provide cover for her to escape, the overwhelming total firepower of the Romulan fleet is superior. The Enterprise suffers catastrophic damage across, ship, across the ship, resulting in heavy casualties. When Pike arrives in sickbay, he finds Chapel struggling to maintain her composure because on her biobed is what remains of Spock. Twisted, mutilated, and broken. Pike knows that this isn't Spock's destiny. It was his, in that accident, and with those cadets. Returning to the present, Captain Pike reconciles himself to a destiny that must maintain its course, because the balance that comes due in any variation of any timeline is Spock's life. 
Later, Pike and Spock share a moment where they express how much they mean to each other in an undefinable and unspoken way. As Pike settles himself on the bridge and accepting who and where he is at this moment in time, he and Una are summoned immediately to the transporter room. Captain Battelle appears and apologizes to him as her security detail arrests Una for violating the Federation's ban on genetic modifications as an Illyria. Illyrian. Pike looks at Battelle and tells her, this isn't over. The end. All right. Nicely done. Hey, uh, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with this one. Uh, but, and before we do that, because we have callers lined up, um, I do want to very quickly here go to our chat because there's some great comments coming on sort of in prep for discussion on this episode. <laughs> uh, Chris Riker saying we need an Ortega's episode with backstory. Totally agreed. 100% agreed. Yep. Uh, Carlos says I'm waiting to see John Cooley's version of the new uniform. <laughs> yes, mm. agreed with you there. John Daw, and I'm not sure uh, if this is uh, true or not, but I hope it's true with all my heart. Now trending on Twitter, hashtag Sir Nasalot. And I really hope that that is the case. So if it's not, make it happen, people. Um, and then uh, Dave points out the subtle call out to the J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, however, I suppose the USS Kelvin was before the divergence. Yes. And I think that's what's so great about it is that we're in the prime timeline, as we have been all this time. Uh, but... Kirk's father served on the Kelvin, just not in the timeline in which Nero came back and messed everything up. So I thought that was a, a very cool way to use that. And then, um, oh, and, and I love this one from Dennis, because this is something that I had not thought of until I read this. I watched the menagerie this weekend and something made more sense. Spock violates regulations and takes such risk because he owes Pike. Yes. If Pike had saved himself. Spock would be in the chair instead. Yes. <laughs> yep. There is that, that is my head explode. Yes. Wow. From I the very beginning, John, I that. think mm -hmm. that you and I have had this why does Spock have such undeniable loyalty to Pike? Pike, like Spock mm -hmm. and Kirk have a very specific relationship. But Spock chooses like the death penalty to save pike he chooses general order four to save pike why yeah this is the episode that tells us why and to be honest right. with you you know everything that we can pick apart about the storytelling decisions in this episode and we will um mm. it, it that's the kind of residual effect that i think is so worthwhile uh, you know we we talked we had our complaints our criticisms as well as our praise of Picard season two. Okay. But one of the residual effects of that is just going back and hearing Picard and TNG says that he often thought of his mother as this elderly woman to have tea with that gave a simple scene like that so much more resonance because then we knew the backstory that they had created leading up to that. And this is the kind of thing. This is not an episode about the menagerie. It's not about Talos, but it just gives you that moment and gives those characters even more depth. Um, really appreciate that. 
now let's get into it. <laughs> and I think the right person to come. Well, actually, before we bring in our first caller, who is a, a friend and colleague of our show, I, I just want to get some like off the top of your heads, uh, just kind of quick thoughts here. Heather, uh, just jump in. Pros, cons, what you're feeling on this one. <laughs> So I, I, I've said that this episode will either be Trials and Tribulations or it will be Star Trek Into Darkness that nobody likes. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I hear <laughs> because you. Because I, I do look o- overall, I liked what they did. I thought that it was something I was going to say new and fun, but they've done this before. <laughs> so it, it works with, with Star Trek tradition. It brings in something new. Like, I like the story for for Pike. I liked Pike and Spock. I have thoughts about Captain Kirk that we'll just talk about later on. Fair. Um, so, but but I do think that either it's going to be something that, that you love or that you might walk out of the theater <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm not an into darkness hater. Look, it's not my favorite, but I, I know there are very strong opinions, and so when it comes down to it, I think it, it it's kind of one or the other. Um, hopefully, a happy medium somewhere. But but overall, I think that the episode sent this season out at a strong point. Um, I really liked the very end, not where Una got arrested. I'm pissed at that. <laughs> But um, Pike walking around the bridge and the expression on his face just saying, like, this crew is worth it. Like, I I know what I'm doing. Like, this sacrifice will be worth it. Um, And great song choice like that. That whole thing just worked out really well. So, Norm, what about you? What do you think? Okay. (laughs) So I have to premise this by saying that Balance of Terror is my favorite TOS episode. Ooh. And I was trying to be both fair and critical about this episode because there have been people in Mission Log and on our Discord that have challenged me with new Star Trek saying, will you be as fair and as critical with TOS era Star Trek, which I have admitted as is my favorite era. And I will say yes. And I have very specific, significant issues with this episode, the very first of which is how much of the actual script that they used in other characters to frame those characters specifically. And in this case is Ortegas. Ortegas is the character, the one character in this entire series that we didn't really get either a backstory of or any significant attention spent towards. However, if we are to believe that Styles, Lieutenant Styles, the bigoted navigator of the Balance of Terror episode, who has very specific reasons for being bigoted because his family traces his lineage all the way back to the very early Romulan War during the Enterprise DNX era. That is not Ortegas, or in any way, shape, or form has been hinted towards in Ortegas's background. So why frame the character that way? Because if we are to believe that this will be Ortegas in seven years, that means the Ortegas that we know now is bigoted in some yeah, way. Right. And that has not been established or alluded to at all. She's hot-tempered, sure. She quips, yes. But she has not shown us that kind of attitude towards any of her crewmen or crew members at all. And now she has been the inheritor of that 
styles bigotry. Why? It makes absolutely no sense to me. None. Carlos is calling it out in the chat, Gumby Ortegas. And that's, okay. uh, that, that's what we got here, because it was sort of a convenient way to fit in that dialogue. Uh, Norman, I very much appreciate your rant. Heather, I very much appreciate <laughs> I love your comparison, Trials and Tribulations versus Into Darkness. Genius way to pit these uh, episodes. Uh, but let's go to our first caller, who, as I teased, friend and colleague of the show, it is Captain Mike. Captain Mike Richards from, of course, the Bridge of the Orville. How's it going? All right, Right. Right. Thanks, everybody. And yeah. loved loved the conversation so far. You guys took a lot of my points, which I love. I think we've we've shared a lot of common things. I want to thank Alan for bringing Kermit the Frog, great leader, cool under pressure. That's right. So we like that. Yes. And yes. I got to pass this along, the fun we had in the Earl Green Room. Earl said if we had done a show last Monday night, it could have been called Gorn on the 4th of July. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's the last time we skip. And uh, also, Andre Bormanis, a friend of the show, got teleplay credit for uh, the Enar in uh, the Enterprise episode. So so this may have cost him some residuals, maybe a little bit of uh, little money down the road. So so not only did... did Hemmer get done dirty? Andre got done dirty. And I think Ortegas did get done dirty. I was watching this episode and watching her just scowl at the screen, kind of, kind of just shaking my head why it was like that. So I don't think I'm in the into darkness would have walked out of the theater uh, camp. Mm -hmm. Um, Another reason I'm calling it tonight. I have not had a chance to say hi uh, to Heather. We've chatted on discord a couple of times. I did want to call her specifically (laughs) to say hi. So hi Heather. Um, so yeah, a couple of things. Balance of terror to me is like is is sort of the perfect Star Trek episode where Kirk looks at the different options and it was really Spock that pushed him to chase him down and kill him because if they were an offshoot of his Vulcan blood who mm-hmm. also went through a, a violent colonizing period, mm-hmm. um, then it was that important. So uh, I thought Kirk was painted a little bit cartoonish, a little bit like somebody watched Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan once and decided to use that as their, their mm-hmm. sort of, um, as Sam Kirk's uh, summary of his brother uh, when there was yeah. so much more depth. I did think Stefan did okay, but he looked a little bit more like Jim Carrey doing his, <laughs> his, uh, uh imitation of kirk but yeah. overall i think it was i think it was an interesting episode i had a little trouble with the messaging so i want to hear what you guys have to say because i love captain pike's leadership style and as leadership styles do evolve from 1964 till now we've seen better leaders with kirk picard cisco or at least different janeway mm-hmm. and now we're in this era of leadership as we should be that's inclusive that um is collaborative that is vulnerable, that displays a certain amount of humility. And with that, what we find is that Kirk, uh, excuse me, uh, Pike does example, uh, exemplify all of these things, which is great. And he did that with the Romulan commander and he offered that truce and he gave themselves time and he took a risk and he showed compassion and he showed the ability to open dialogue and how important that is. And it didn't work and it started a war. And that's the messaging issue that I have. So I want to throw it back at you guys and see what you think of that part of the messaging and see if I'm just way off base with this. Are we going to, are we going to get into Kirk now? Is this, 
that, that do it, part. man. I well, go. We, we don't go. We don't it. have to, but have at it, man. I'm, yeah. I'm out. No, you guys you know, you talk about right. yourselves. Mike, thanks for calling yeah. in. I, I love you. <laughs> you just come in. I'm Hang just going to drop these simple questions for you. Boom. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Kirk, Kirk, go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a lot. I have a lot to say, but please don't take this the wrong way. Uh, you know, chat out there because Kirk has been one of the guiding forces of my life as a character in my fandoms. That all being said, he's not a perfect character. He is a deeply flawed character many times over. This isn't about the character. It's about the choice of using the character at this time. Why bring him into this episode? It makes absolutely zero sense without any consequence. If you take him out and put another captain into the Farragut, the result stays the same. It's like Indiana Jones, the, the the thing in the Big Bang Theory where she says, like, you know, Indiana Jones and the arc, even if Indiana Jones wasn't in that, the story, the end of the arc, the outcome would remain the same. The Nazis would have gotten the arc. They would have opened it. Indiana Jones was inconsequential. That's Kirk in this episode. What he does, anyone could have done. And when you say, like, yes, he's the risk taker, the rule breaker, uh, Mike, you brought this up, that this is a meme version of Kirk. This isn't the Kirk from Balance of Terror. Pike is the Kirk from Balance of Terror in this episode. And I don't think that it's fair that they take the character and the legacy and the lineage of Captain Kirk throughout the course of 56 years of what has been created of him and turn him into a character that is framed in such a way to make Pike look better. I don't think that does character justice to Kirk, and it certainly doesn't do character justice to Pike, who is doing an incredible job as a captain and Anson Mount as an actor to bring Pike to this level, to get to the end of this season with the respect and the admiration that we have for him for what he has achieved and earned. You don't need to have the comparison and contrast between these two most famous captains of this era. It only serves to divide the audience, in my opinion, which I think is happening right now. So let me just say that uh, microphones are expensive and delicate pieces of equipment. Therefore, we do not literally drop microphones. But Norman, that was a mic drop moment. <laughs> was it? So, Did yeah, I drop Mike yeah. Richards? You, <laughs> well, we I'll can have okay. him back, though. We can have him back. Yeah. You know, I just and it sums up, I think, I mean, I was look, going down the episode list and um, I, I just I want to see the universe get bigger. You know, we we have you know Spock Amok, and we have Gorn's coming. Gorn coming back. I think Gorn is the plural of Gorn. Um, and we and we have <laughs> this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just I want to see you know tell your own, make up your own stories. Like let, it's a big universe out there, and we were kind of promised more stories, new stories, strange. What's that middle word? New worlds. That's so. The let's kind of go That's out there. And thank you so much. You guys are doing a great job. Love being part of this family. And uh, I will uh, see you guys around the block. Vulcan rage. <laughs> yeah. I. I mean, look. I, I'll sort of chime in with that and say that you know I. I am still of two minds about this episode, although I, I lean toward very strongly this feeling like it is, it's not just going back to the well, but when you actually lift a story and lift dialogue from another story to force it into the one you're telling now, uh, it feels a little creatively uh, at a loss. And, and that's what I'm having trouble with. What I like is when Strange New Worlds can just run parallel to what we know in TOS. Mm -hmm. 
that's the fun of it when you just sort of get like, oh, yeah, those things happen out there. Spock has this dream sequence where he's fighting with Alirpa on Vulcan because, of course, that's where his anxiety is going to take him. Like, that makes sense to me. But actually replaying a story and just forcing our characters into it then I wonder, okay, why are we doing this? Is it just a telegraph to the audience? Look at Star Trek because we can recreate Balance of Terror. Isn't that cool? Are we just playing the nostalgia card at that moment? And the other part of me feels like, um, you know, or I should say the similar part of me feels, uh, um, are, you know, who is the audience that we are doing this for? Because, Again, going back to the last episode where we were talking about Gorn, if there are people who can't get past the idea of a rubber-suited Gorn fighting at Vasquez Rocks, therefore you need to sort of recreate it, well, at least we recreated it in a way that is a new, fresh story with new, fresh character moments for the ones that really count, for the ones that we're following here, you know, particularly Lan, Uhura, Hemmer. Um but in this, well, like you just pointed out so well, Norman, you know, the command decisions are actually it's taking the best of what Kirk already had in Balance of Terror, putting those on Pike and making Kirk into something else that is almost inconsequential here. So um, I, I'm having a tough time with this one, and and I don't want this to be an episode that um, – that sort of does what the finale of Enterprise did, which is to take away from the value of the characters of this incredibly strong cast that we have just 10 episodes in. They are all so good. They are all so strong. Why do we need to then kind of start to chip away at that by saying, oh, no, wait, we were just here waiting for Kirk all along. Um, I, I have a problem with that because I just want to follow Pike and Una and Ortegas and Uhura and that whole gang on the stories that they have. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe somebody bring around. Chris says, no, this was not, these are the voyages. I know, I know, but we're still just, but what is right? Yeah. We're still shoehorning (laughs) in these characters to say like, Oh, well, if you don't like this star Trek, don't worry. We remember all the other, other star Treks too. Um, and I, I don't think this episode or I don't think the series needs that. So, um, Anyway, uh, Heather, one second. Yeah, yeah oh, our momentum yeah, yeah. is built, but I know that Heather had some strong feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you don't. Oh, oh well, I mean, Kirk's supposed to be hot, <laughs> and I just don't think that this guy's very hot. Not um, doing it for you, no. But that's so superficial. Um, you know, you ask like, you know, who, who is the series being made for? Well, it's being made for fans like us, but it's being made for general audiences. Hmm. So, yeah, it is going to be made in a way that appeals to as many people as possible, while hopefully not, you know, upsetting the the super devout fans. But then at the same time, like, it's not made for us. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's made for everybody. And, and ultimately you have, you know, Alex Kurtzman and, and Henry Alonzo Myers, I think 
deciding, oh, well, we want Kirk, so let's put Kirk in. Um, we have to accept that ultimately the execs way up there are going to make some of these decisions just because it's their sandbox and they want to play in it. Um, and that's what's going to happen. And I think that Strange New Worlds itself has really become a sandbox because we've gotten such a variety of episodes this season. Um, we've got the horror episode. We've got um, Elysian Kingdom. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, ultimately they're they're not going to please everyone but i definitely understand the issues with this episode and i think that maybe had they brought in a different actor that it might have made a better connection for me because even on the second rewatch it just it was it's it's just not there um this is one of those situations where the previous episode my second watch made me appreciate it more this time around, my second watch of the final episode, uh, I sort of enhanced the problems <laughs> that I had with it. And part of it is going back to what Mike said, which is I want the universe to be bigger. I don't want mm-hmm. all you know, Star Trek is not a show about the cosmic importance of Kirk and Spock like that. That's just not the premise of Star Trek. Uh, as far as my understanding goes, Next Generation proved that very well and then had all of its spinoff and and associated shows for years and years and years and years and now we've gotten to this point 56 years later where we feel like no no no, it can't be star trek unless there is some uh element of fate built in about kirk and spock and i'm sorry but none of them are named skywalker that's not (laughs) you know that's not the premise of this franchise (laughs) as far as i can tell they Um, agree with you in chat Okay, Skywalker all right. Family, yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, well, hey, let, let's oh, uh, have, move on have, to our... Oh, oh, please, please. One please, small yeah. soapboxy thing left. One small one. And I promise I'll shut up for the rest of the episode. <laughs> so, But the thing is, there are a lot of people out you know, in chat that are bringing up, you know, uh, what about audiences who have never seen TOS? And I think that's mm-hmm. an absolutely fair point because yeah, there yeah. are new audiences coming into Star Trek all the time. And here's why I have... Um, I have more of an affection towards like the Elysian kingdom than these last two episodes because of the Gorn and the aliens crossover. And then you have the balance of terror homage at all. The reason why I like the Elysian kingdom more than these two is because at least they tried to show us something completely new in this era, regardless of whether or not you think the narrative worked, it was at least an attempt to try something new and not to even run parallel with what's going on with the TOS era of this particular timeline. There are new generations of fans, and I think that is the best thing that is happening to Star Trek right now. But there are also TOS fans that are running parallel to these new generations of fans that are coming into Star Trek. So why create especially for a season finale and especially bringing in one of Star Trek's most legendary characters. Why take the risk of telling that story when you can tell a new story? Yeah. You have the talent. You have proven it in the, like most of the episodes in this season, you have a great cast. You have a character that is barely explored with Ortegas. This could have been her episode, right? She could have been the hero of this episode and they could have ended up with something original that doesn't alienate either audience, (laughs) right? But it would reinforce the loyalty of a brand new total audience. That's what the focus should be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think. 
Well, let's see how our audience is feeling about this. And let's go to our first caller who has been so patient, or a second caller, rather, who has been so patient standing by. And that is Chris. We are back to you, Chris. Welcome. And uh, how are you feeling about all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys covered a lot of the, the heavy-hitting stuff with Mike and sort of those ideas about Kirk is this use of Kirk's not that great, the sort of idea that Pike tries for peace and then fails is a weird message to land on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, while you guys were talking, you were talking about how Kirk is kind of cookie-cutter. He could be anyone, right? And I had an epiphany, so if you'll allow me to, to put on my writer hat. Ooh! <laughs> uh, yes, my writer yes. hat that idea is you replace Kirk with um oh what's your name Mattel the girlfriend okay Mike's girlfriend oh, it's a future version of yeah. her and then you set that up as a kind of like conflict and obviously we're getting some of that going to season two because she arrested Una but because I really like that actress and I'd like to see more of her and that's yeah. a relationship again going back to what you guys are saying of like this new cast and this new talent like it could be her and she could have role and then you still get to have pike do the cool kirk stuff from balance and yeah. you don't like detract from kirk so that was that was my epiphany was replace kirk with Vettel. hard agree That's great yeah. great idea and the kyuga was there at the very beginning with the whole neutrozone refitting yeah. so it makes mm-hmm. sense right Man, all right. Dude, writer's hat, you win. Yeah, yeah. hang on to that writer's hat. We'll see if we know somebody who can uh, get you a job. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Chris, uh, and everybody who's holding on right now, we are going to try to get to everybody. We, we will kind of push through as fast as we can, but if we don't, then apologies up front. Uh, Chris, any parting shot before we say hi to Paul again? Uh, yeah, go back and rewatch uh, Old Pike. This may just be me, but I feel like I'm right. Old Pike seems Southern. Like, like not super southern, but, mm. but the moments where like there's a twang coming through, especially like laying on the bio bed. I'm like, whoa, what's, what are you doing there, Anson? <laughs> there, there was something going on there. I don't know. Go, it's go a little bit of a little bit of uh, Cullen Bohannon, uh, yeah, informing yeah. his Pike performance now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. your that's your homework for this week. All right, <laughs> very good. All right, somebody get him on the phone. Let's ask. Uh, all right, Chris, thanks very much. Appreciate it. And all right, uh, see you around. All right, see ya. Thanks, Let's Chris. jump right over to Paul again and uh, hear what you have to say, my friend. Oh, I so wanted to be on the, the line when Mike was talking because, you know, Norm, appreciate everything you offered and Mike offered, but I, I have a totally different view of all of this. I, Fantastic. Yeah. The, what is the premise of this episode? It's knowing the future is not a good thing and it basically sucks. True. And they're proving mm-hmm. that. So they go forward and they put him in a situation where it forced me forced me to go back and watch Balance of Terror again. And I've watched that episode probably 50 times in my life, but I watched it with a different set of eyeballs. And I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily the hugest Kirk fan. I mean, early on, you have to be because he's all we had. But as you go forward, you tend to pick different captains. And he's not, he's not number one for me. But the arrogance portrayed by, by Paul Wesley, was that his name, right? Wesley? Yes. Right. Yeah. Was pretty spot on in points. And if it was a younger, experienced inexperienced Kirk from that situation. We don't know his backstory at this point because the whole future has changed. Um, <clears throat> I feel that what it did for me is magnify these differences and shows how both are useful. In, in some ways, I felt it made Anson Mount's character less idyllic because he ultimately failed at his task. 
where you think it, where you said that you think it, it sort of put him and made him look better. I think it makes, sort of brings him down to earth and grounds him versus what we've seen so far. Well, and it, and it, and it lends credence to the support of what Kirk brings to the table. So I see it differently. Um, I went back and rewatched the episode. I can't wait to get to Vegas and have this discussion Thursday night nice. over a drink yes. with you and Mike. Um, because philosophically, I, I, I gleaned a lot out of it, along with some great, absolute great costuming on those helmets of the Romulans. I mean, <laughs> so uh, as you wish, my friends, go for well, it. Well, I mean, what I wasn't saying that, you know, Pike was going to win in that situation. What I was saying is that there are there are elements of Pike that were more in tune with the way that Kirk was in Balance of Terror than the way that Kirk was in this episode being simply a, a stand-in for any other captain that could have done exactly what he did. There was no reason for Kirk to be in that role. It could have been one of any <clears throat> of the other Constitution-class captains. It could have been Paul Tracy. You know, It could have been a, the captain of the Intrepid. It could have been anyone. Couldn't have been it, Deckard. Well, it couldn't have been. Could not have been Decker. Well, remember the premise. Remember the premise is to show what the difference will be if you know the future, right? And uh, if you try to change the future, that's what it was trying to tell us, that Kirk is not in the situation to apply his tools to a situation that really wanted his tools to be successful. Um, The balance of terror is amazing, you know, and it was sheer Mm -hmm. dumb luck in a lot of ways. I mean, he's one, a gambler and two, Mm -hmm. he's not afraid to be lucky. I mean, he, he succeeded in balance of Taylor because of lucky phaser blasts that were hitting them. So that's why I feel it's, I, I don't, I was intrigued. I was thoroughly intrigued with this episode. I thought it was a great way to end the season. I think it's going to make a lot of younger folks want to know what happened with Balance of uh, Terror. I think it's going to create an audience for the new folks to try and bring them around to understand what we're all trying to say about, you know, these differences. But um, yeah, that's that's where I fall on this one. So I I appreciate the conversation tonight. You know, just dynamite, Fabulous. and the chat is on fire. Yeah, <laughs> it's that on fire. Is, I, it's like you just sit there is. and drink and watch it. So <laughs> that's. A, I mean, the, the the thing is, Paul, it's a great point. And the, here's the interesting thing, and I can't wait to hear this. You know, um, in different conversations from different fans, fans who have never seen Balance of Terror before, <laughs> but have now technically seen it in the best possible production value. Because the Romulan bird of prey, the plasma bubble, the attack on outpost four, all of that, like I was talking about with the Gorn, is at the best possible production value you'll ever see Star Trek, at least right now. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back to 1967, that might be different, right? Sure. I didn't. It really wasn't. For you, it was. You're straddling. You're straddling both fandoms, though. We're talking about a brand new audience. You know, it may. They may look at it in a different way. Instead of seizing cheesing effects, they're going to see the choices made. I hope so. Yeah, I I think totally hope so. That episode is so so strong, and it um, is. Yeah, Heather, I love to have you say something because i think i love your <laughs> your your brain works in many different ways in mind so oh gosh um hmm i, I don't know what to say um I, well and i think that the like as uh, i'm trying to think <laughs> i think well I, I know that there have been a lot of new fans that did watch this episode I follow a lot of people on Twitter. Um, 
that did go back and watch Balance of Terror. And I think that, thank goodness, Balance of Terror is is actually, it's not a campy episode. It's not, yeah, sure, it was made in 1960s, but I think it comes together really well so that you're not, it's not like a slogger that you have to go through. Yeah. So I think yeah. that, that using that episode to kind of, because look at me, like I came into Trek, I was a Trekkie before 2009, but I wasn't this level Trekkie that I'm on a podcast. Um, when I saw the 2009 film, it just like lit something new in me. And then I started going to conventions and it was like, my life has changed forever. I think that people will watch this episode, Quality of Mercy, go back and watch Balance of Terror and, and hopefully be open to to watching a little bit more and getting to those morals and meanings because it's not like when we look at arena and the last episode like the morals and messages are in arena they're not in the gorn episode mm-hmm. i think that that this episode does a good job of still having a message but the the better message is is in balance of terror um so yeah you know ultimately i hope that this episode brings new fans into watching TOS and making it through because a lot of them find it very dull. Like <laughs> these are complaints I hear from them. Um, they struggle getting through and I don't, I don't know. I I'm, I'm glad that we have both and I hope that there's a connection somewhere. Excellent. I have to go guys. We have a tornado warning happening right now. Oh, so no. yeah, well, Yikes. you know, excitement. Okay. Be safe, Stay man. safe my friend. Yep. We'll see you All on right. uh, see you in Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. See you soon. Let's jump over to Brandon. Like I said, we're going to try to get to as many people as we can. So welcome back to the show, Brandon, and uh, hit us with what you got for uh, this final episode of season one. Well, thanks. Um, so, uh, I mean, I've, I've already, on our, my first time on your show, I actually mentioned, um, as I was accidentally leaving, leading everyone to believe I was a huge Star Trek V fan, that I have mixed feelings at best about callbacks or forwards. It's <laughs> my subtle way of correcting the record, too. I was 12. Um, but I have, I, I, yeah, I have the mixed feelings. We've talked about that. And in the interest of time, I'll, I'll move past that. I haven't ever seen Balance of Terror. Mm. Um, so you guys are saying you wanted to get some insight on mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I've absolutely. heard enough about the plot to know that's what I was watching about halfway through this episode. Um, and if this episode was all I knew about that situation, it would have been a good episode um, except for a couple things. Um, first, you know, kind of like Norm said, anyone other than Kirk could have done what he did in this episode. I would say anyone other than Kirk should have done what he did in this episode. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I was like, um, Kirk, yay, woo, whatever. Um, Cause I, didn't need the the call forward, backward, lateral. Um, and there were some clever lines. There was some great writing. There was some really cool cinematic stuff. But I would really have loved to have seen this truly good series end its first season by telling its own story. And most importantly, keeping the happier and upbeat notes that Strange New Worlds has given us so far, not trying to go into gritty land. Um, and I couldn't find I couldn't find a particularly positive message or moral in here other than that the you know paul did mention the changing the future thing i don't know that i'm going to get a chance to use that advice in my life (laughs) um and so the the i was trying to pick through it because i loved this episode when i was watching it but not so much when i was thinking about it Mm because i thought okay what's what are what are you telling me accept your fate know your place Mm -hmm. be more impulsive don't let them get away when they're wounded 
don't let helm and ops switch seats. Right. Um, right. You know, right. I think the best piece of advice I agree with was never officiate a wedding without something written down. I've, you know, <laughs> that's there you go. That yeah. is a lesson to take away. No, you know what? Uh, all, all joking aside, because those are <laughs> hilariously awesome and those should also be on a T-shirt, every single one of them. Um you nailed it when you said that you enjoyed this as you watched it, but it became more problematic when you thought about it. And and that's exactly how I felt here. And one of the first notes that I took on watching this was, you know, wow, the dialogue is great. You can tell that the writers are writing for the strengths of people that they have, like Anson Mount. And that's wonderful, because those scenes when it's just future Pike and present Pike – as contrived as that is, as much of a Star Trek thing as it is that they want us to accept, the dialogue is actually really good, and, and it feels yeah. really natural coming out of both versions of them. It's fun, but then it turns into an episode that is just trying to cram all of these story elements at you, then goes off the rails by... Well, Norman, as you have so well pointed out here, going down the wrong path with somebody like Ortegas, uh, you know, why, why are we dumping that on her? It doesn't make sense. And then if we are to find a moral meaning message in there, uh, they're not leaving us with a lot of great stuff that uh, they can really, you know, uh, uh, put up there in the greatest moments of Star Trek that it wants you to carry home, you know, wants you to hold in your heart. <laughs> those, those aren't the messages that are here. Um, oh, Heather, it looked like you were about to say well, something. So like when we opened this season, one of the main things that I was concerned with was, you know, how are they going to portray the story of Pike and his, you know, future disability. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that has been at the heart of this season. And so the end of this episode, like I said, when he's walking around the bridge and looking at everybody, like I, as much as it's not necessarily a moral or a meaning, but like <laughs> Pike has found some kind of closure or, meaning to the sacrifice that he's going to make and so we're kind of getting that that for pike and not so much the bigger message um that's the best that i can come away with that it's just very pike centric in that mm -hmm. in, in that scene and again i like that like i liked that you know, he came to find peace with, with a sacrifice that he might one day make. And I don't know if we're going to see more of this in season two, because he's at peace now. So we shouldn't really need to see more. Um, curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, and look, here's another uh, unintended message for you, Brandon. Uh, if you're that boy, Mott, don't meet your heroes. Yeah, so, you know, that's <laughs> another important one. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brandon, we'll say goodnight to you so we can jump over to our next caller. Thank, Thank you, guys. you again Thanks. for sticking Thanks, with Brandon. us. And uh, we'll see you around. See you around. All right. Let's welcome back to the show. Alan, Alan, with your thoughts hey, on hey. Uh, hey. quality of mercy. What do you got for us? Oh, we're yeah, I'm I think overall, I'll try to be concise uh, with my thoughts here because I know we, we're, we're going to try to get as many people in as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm I'm kind of a little bit more on with Paul in terms of you know appreciating the the quandary that it put Pike in. Um, I, I've liked the way that Anson has portrayed Pike throughout the course of the season. Uh, I think he's done a very good job. I do feel like 
I don't know if this is inten- intentional or not, but speaking of plot armor, sometimes I feel like he's a guy walking around who knows that he has plot armor because mm-hmm. he knows that he's got 10 years until his date with destiny. So like during the pirate episode, I, w- I was like, you're awfully flip for, for someone whose ship just got taken over Pike, but he knows that he's, he's going to be all right. <laughs> right. And this is the first episode where thanks to the, uh, uh, Klingon time crystals and Norm. I've loved our debate <laughs> on on Patreon about what to call those. Uh. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, just he gets shunted off into this future where he doesn't know he he's that's been stripped away and now he's got to deal with that. Um, as far as Kirk goes, first of all, shout out to the the Iowa connection. Yeah, Yo. there we go. Right it's there. It's yep. there. It's in the show. Yeah. Can't take it away. Yeah. <laughs> um but um I I feel like I can see I can see why people have are you know reacting the way that they are. Um the way that I'm choosing to see it is this is the guy this is Kirk who he is if he hadn't been with Spock on the Enterprise doing all of these great things. And turns out he is just another Starfleet captain in that situation. Hmm. Um, it's only through the the magic of, you know, being the lead character on a on a on a sci-fi series that he has become this amazing guy. Like just thinking about it, this is the first James. This is the first Star Trek story arguably since generations is the only other example I can think of, of a star Trek where Kirk is there and he's not the lead character. Hmm. And it's someone else who's in that position of having to make decisions and having to make choices or having, you know, having to say the speech, do the thing, make the decision. Um, And that sort of built this sort of reputation of who, who Kirk is and this is this is Jim Kirk without all of that, and this is what you have. And I think the way that I the the way that I read the very end of Pike reviewing his record is that Kirk is going to be a little bit like those kids that he's had his list of. This is just another person that Pike is now going to sort of I don't want to say guardian angel or you know be the you know the person watching out for them as he goes but maybe this is somebody who he takes under his wing and tries to mold him into the guy that we know and maybe that's why he's here for this nicely said that is very optimistic alan thank you i know <laughs> that's me i'm i'm when it, with star trek i'm an easy date all <laughs> <laughs> right we've heard of that about you okay yeah. uh, all right alan thank you so much yeah. for calling in we're gonna say goodbye so we can uh try to get on our uh, last couple of callers here so until next time yeah. and uh sheree is there waiting patiently uh there's a really nice comment here from michael graff uh, in our facebook he says to paraphrase that from cochran don't try to be a great man just be a man it's not necessarily about changing 
predicting the future timeline-wise, but trying too hard to second-guess or manipulate outcomes rather than just doing the right thing. Um, and I think that was certainly uh, something to contemplate in the context of this episode, so thank you for that. All right, let's jump over to Cherie, who, again is from the bridge of the enterprise Hello. so welcome back sheree what is on your hey. mind for this episode i just want to say it's so unfair that the card and his friends can crush as many butterflies as they want pike <laughs> pike is not allowed to do anything pike pike is given no exceptions when it comes to crushing butterflies you're right you're right Chaos yeah. theory has no effect on him at all. No, but Picard, yeah. Picard can just go around doing whatever. I mean, who's to say which one is the correct timeline, you know? <laughs> yeah. Pike hasn't had a run-in yet with the Guardian or with a Q or anything like that. So Poor, poor Pike. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He gets the coolest sounding thing in the universe, though. He gets a time crystal. That is true. Maybe that's that why he's not true. allowed to. Because they did say, though, they're like, well, if you look at the time crystal, you're not allowed to change it. So maybe that's why. But still, it's like, come on, everybody else is allowed to. My how, how about just me. stop bringing me time crystals, okay? Right. Just stop bringing time crystals. Bring him right. Folger's crystals instead. <laughs> yes. Right? And then this time crystal stuff. Not, not for his coffee. My sister recently rewatched uh, Voyage Home and she got reminded of like the, the, like, the random things they did. Like um, everyone remembers the Scotty one, of course, but like also uh, McCoy just handing like those pills to that lady who needed dialysis <laughs> and like right. healing her. It's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> they're allowed to do whatever they want. <laughs> Look, that, that lady with a new kidney, she might go off on a crime spree. Like, we don't know. That, that could have been a horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> uh, I do agree also with Norm about Ortegas's attitude making absolutely no sense, and that really annoyed me. Um, like, like it wasn't even just that she was uh, bigoted against Spock, but also she was just meaner and not mm -hmm. as friendly towards everyone. Like, she, I don't think she smiled like that entire episode. Like, and that's not. Ortega's like that's not what we've been given as her characters it doesn't make any sense like and they could have had one if they really wanted to be like okay we're just gonna have her be the style character and I'm like okay fine but then like you should at least um you know have one offline about like oh yeah the Romulan war it's really done things to her you know she's not she's not the person she used to be or whatever you know fine fine whatever um it's still stupid but like at least you you gave some explanation and didn't just make her mean without any explanation <laughs> I mean, the, right. That's my right. my. I've been actually like, I've said this many times, either here or on Discord, that the one character tragically that has not been given any, you know, character development at all has been Ortega's, and we were, we didn't even get it in, in the Elysian Kingdom. We got an avatar yeah. of who you know at Adra. I can never get that Sir Adra. <laughs> Adia, Sir Adia. 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 Never get that right. Okay. Uh, put that on your mission log. Bingo square. But, <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's so much potential, and they never yeah. used it here. And again, they just shoehorn somebody else's personality into her for no real reason. Not even like one line saying that I've had run-ins with a Romulans before, like on a penal on a colony, something, anything yeah. mm -hmm. to tie her bitterness towards the Romulans into the character. Nothing, and in my opinion, that's lazy writing. That's actually very bad writing. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right, Cherie, 
Any other thoughts before we uh, hit our next to last caller, I think, here? Yeah, and I also just agreed with what some others said, that I just didn't feel that the Kirk guy was very Kirk-like. He just didn't strike me. And I come from the other end of the spectrum. Kirk is kind of one of my least favorite Star Trek characters. But Uh, even I, it's like, but you recognize personality traits. It's like, you know, that's a Kirk. Like, Chris Pine was a Kirk. You know, I'm like, yeah. 100%. I recognize him as a Kirk. And like Heather said, he's also very Kirk. Um, maybe maybe that's a bit of a bias there, but um, so still, like he, I think he did a good job, sort of acting that kind of level of confidence dash arrogance um, that Kirk kind of has sometimes. Um, whereas this guy, I, I just and maybe it wasn't just that they didn't give him enough. I don't know. I've never seen him in anything else, so I can't comment on that. Um, but I think even without the look, you could you could still put it in there it just wasn't in there i just didn't feel kirk in that kirk has a charisma that this this guy just lacked and again we can explain it as this is a kirk we haven't seen whatever but really like if you're gonna recreate a penultimate star trek episode find a kirk that's a kirk and and that's the thing is like i wish that we spent more time and energy talking about a character that could have been great like a new character or an invented character or something that brought the fandom more together than, than having a little bit of this angst and divisiveness because of how 56 years of how people feel about a character are being levied in this particular discussion. Or you could have had one really cool new character where like, I can't wait to see this character in season two. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I think that is the way that they should have gone. I hope yeah. the writers are listening. We don't want more Kirk. We don't <laughs> right. want TOS to get. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and, and, you know, and for all the discussion about this being a different Kirk, I mean, look, we, we are catching up with Kirk around the time of was Balance of Terror. Uh, that was season two, right? So that was Balance of Terror season one. Season one. Okay. Yeah. So it, it is the earliest version of Kirk that we get. And if you're going to go there, I think you really need to make those, uh, those ties a little bit tighter for us as an audience to accept it. Um, this was just, I mean, everybody's going to have their own level of what they accept or what they can't accept. Chris Pine took me a little bit of time to grow into, but then he just became <coughs> a very strong actor as Kirk. Mm-hmm. This one, I am not feeling it and it, and it, it's a doubly odd choice to have him in such an iconic episode that you're going to tie this to so Sheree, thank you so much uh we're going to say good night so we can take in our our last few words here from our final caller take care we'll see you next time and welcome Hi, to the show all the way from the uss fresno <laughs> it yeah is dave. nice <laughs> dave how you doing man doing good doing good yeah from the fresno <laughs> yeah what uh what's on your mind tonight well um i was just wondering you guys Uh-oh. have just finished uh reviewing voyager season one just did this season one finale there where i'm gonna pose this question where does this rank in all the season one finales for you put it out there how does it compare Ooh, season one finales yes i mean it- I mean, I'll answer this fairly quickly just because of the way I feel about the episode. I don't really yeah. consider this a really strong season finale because it's not original. Yeah. Right. You know, even if like um, a turnabout intruder is terrible, I don't even consider that like a season <laughs> finale. That's a terrible episode, but it is the final episode of TOS. Right. So well, technically but, but season it's, one, though. Oh, season one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was season one? Oh, um, 
Well, season one of TNG, that's neutral. That's that's the what was it? The uh, conspiracy. Conspiracy. That was amazing. Like, yeah, that that aliens was like people heads <laughs> blowing up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Rivik head debris everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, what well, I don't know. I don't remember a season one of these. I'm sure. Uh, here's the thing. I am sure that they were all really good because I'm sure that they were all original stories, or at least they tried to be original. Right. That's that's my biggest problem with this episode is that it didn't try to be original. It tried to be great. And it's a great re it's a great recreation of balance and terror. But if you take all of that out of the episode, what are you left with? What originality are you left with? Right? So are you are you great episode because you lean on greatness? I don't think so. Right? It's already great. It's already baked in to the lexicon of Star Trek. That balance of terror to a certain audience and to new generations of audiences is a gold standard of Star Trek because of the acting, the writing, the etc. But that's that episode. This episode leans so heavily on it that it can't be credited as being 100% original of its own accord, in my opinion. I think one of the worst things you can say about other season one enders is that they are not memorable. Um, so you, you take TOS season one, which is super strong throughout pretty much all of that season. They had 26 episodes to do it in. Um, and toward the end of the season, I think next to the last or very close to the last is City on the Edge of Forever, which is just one of the all-time great science fiction stories ever told. But they end the season with Operation Annihilate, which is, uh, <laughs> all right, it, it's just very run-of-the-mill, sci-fi, forgettable as, you know, and I, it definitely does not rank in the highest episodes of Star Trek. The problem with this one is that you only got 10 episodes. You had a lot of memorable moments throughout the season. And the beauty of the season is that we as the audience are so bought into this crew. Pike is an exceptional captain. And Anson Mount as Pike is just some of the most perfect casting they've had in the entire Star Trek franchise ever. Um and then you have the the redevelopment of these iconic characters like Number One, like Nurse Chapel, like Mbenga, and we just immediately, I do, immediately fall in love with them, and I want to see more of them. The problem with this episode is it steals their thunder in a way to say, like, oh, no, 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 we're faking you out. It's all about TOS anyway. And I, I, I'm definitely a TOS fan. It's what I grew up with. But I don't need this show to try to be that show because mm-hmm. you're already doing it right. You're already doing it from the beginning in the way that I wanted to see it. This um, th- this felt like a really big misstep, and I, and I would have to rank it pretty low in season one enders um, just because it feels like a more egregious misstep. Look, learning curve, ending Voyager season one with that, again, at, at worst, it's a sort of forgettable it was a sort of like another run-of-the-mill episode of voyager and in uh, here you've got this attempt to really shoot for the moon we're going to do something that'll wow everybody and then you just completely miss the mark (laughs) i won't say completely there are things about this episode that i quite like i don't want to come away from this making it sound like i just think it's a total failure i think there are many things about this that i like but i can't quite wrap my head around what they were trying to do here um 
Dave, any parting uh, thoughts here? Because I want to give Heather the last word. Uh, no, that's it. I just wanted to get your take on it, especially because you've just done it. We just finished 47 straight weeks of Star Trek, and it wow. felt great. So time, time for us to take a break. That's what that means. <laughs> Some, Sometimes there were two episodes <laughs> yeah. in a week, but most of the time there were one. And so yeah. I just thought it was really nice. Looking forward to more, but yeah, maybe a week or so off. Nice. Go ahead, Heather. Thanks a lot. Oh. All right. Um, so I think that if you look, (laughs) if you take strange new worlds and you separate it from all the Star Trek that we've known before, um, look, I think it was a really strong first season and I (sighs) qualms about the episode aside, I still, for me, the, the story between Pike and Spock, um, really, really brought a lot. And then again, that last scene with Pike and the crew just kind of solidified for me that, you know, Pike is in a good place and we're, we're going to move into season two. It felt like a nice wrap up because of all that. Um, and I'm glad that we got what we did with Pike and Spock. I think that overall, I stand by what I said before, that it's either going to be a trials <laughs> and tribulations yeah. or a Star Trek into darkness um, and for me, it's kind of somewhere in between, to be honest. I, again, like I, I've said somewhere previously, I try to be an optimist when it comes to Star Trek. And I really, I really like this season. I love the crew. I love the actors. They better uh, do something better with Ortegas for, for season two. Like she needs to be a fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more Una, more Una. Yes. So. Perfect. All right. Well, that is a great place to end it. Thank you for that. And, you know, Heather, since you brought up your analogy again, uh, Earl actually chimed in saying, so maybe instead of uh, Trials and Tribulations or Into Darkness, this was Shades of Grey. But I bring up Earl because very important to let all of you know that uh, today is Earl's birthday. So happy birthday to the guy who keeps all of this running and doing an amazing job. So we thank you for that. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log, Mission Log Live by the invaluable Earl Green. Again, happy birthday to you. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you, Heather Barker, who has been our guest co-host on Mission Log for Strange New Worlds. We appreciate it so much. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we look forward to wrapping up the season with you next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.